0: Good morning, everyone man. singing behold our God with the background the backdrop of that thunder. Oh my goodness! was that incredible? Woo. Thank you, Jesus. What a blessing we have this morning. Um, yeah, hopefully our stuff will dry out, but uh, <laughs> that'll be good um. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. How incredible! I don't know if 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 on uh, YouTube if our live stream if they can hear the thunder or not, but wow, um, how incredible! Um, this uh, flyer here, I want you guys to make sure you grab one of these on the way out. By the way, this is not yellow; it's canary. Just so you know, this is a life group flyer. We have. A lot of cool life groups throughout the week. A lot of cool stuff. By the way, I only have two people signed up for mine. So uh, I don't know if it's the curriculum or me, but um, we're gonna we're gonna be reading classic Christian literature. Um, so, the first, the book we're going to start off with is uh, The Hiding Place by Tor- Cory Ten Boom. We're going to read some Tozer. Uh, we'll read Pilgrim's Progress. We'll, just throughout the year, we're going to read some different books. And it's going to be a really cool time. Stuff that I've wanted to read or reread, uh, and this was a way that I could force myself to do it. So, um, uh Really, I think, like just the hiding place alone, I think every, every Christian ought to read that book um, by Corey Ten Boom. So go out there, check out the life groups, um, see what uh, you might be interested in, what nights you're available. Um, there's nothing better than just being involved in that community and, and discussing uh, things of God. Let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. starting in verse 1. After he finished saying, or after, I already started out horrible. It's the, it's, I'm distracted, that's why. After he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him, to, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, earnestly saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he, he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled and said at him, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those two or when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Our merciful God, we thank you for this, just this beautiful, rainy morning. We need the, we need the rain. We need the water. Um, and so we thank you for it. And We thank you that you've ordained for us to uh, uh, fellowship together as your church and in communion with your holy church around the world this morning. We pray for all believers everywhere that they would be drawn into your throne and transformed by your presence. Lord, forgive us us of our sins and prepare our hearts to hear from you as we open your word. Lord, speak to us. Minister to us. Lord, make us holy as we receive your word this morning. Give us grace. Cleanse us with your word. Purify us. Sanctify us. Make us holy. God, we ask that your spirit would join with us to reveal the truth of your scriptures which give us knowledge of you. And so we give this time over to you to open our hearts to your voice in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Have you ever met someone who is just so well respected or this authoritative person or someone famous that you were just totally intimidated? Like maybe you got backstage passes to your favorite band, got to shake hands and talk to them right? Or maybe you worked for a large company and, and got to meet the CEO. Believe it or not, that actually happened to me one time. I worked for the Home Depot, and I had a number of customers that had written corporate about my customer service. And so I was invited to have dinner with the CEO, who was Frank Blake at the time, um, and who clearly hadn't been in California often enough to know better than to have dinner in San Bernardino. We, we all have stories, Right? We all have stories. Chris Bayer and I were talking the other day, and he knows someone who knows Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, you know have you heard of the Red Hot Chili Peppers? They're a very famous rock band. Uh, and he was just wandering around the desert alone just because he wanted to get away from his LA influences over the Thanksgiving weekend. And so they invited Anthony Kiedis to join them for Thanksgiving dinner. And the dude actually showed up, um, can you imagine? That's both impressive and weird. Like <laughs> like I uh, it's pretty awesome, yeah, I guess. You know, uh, but I have a close friend who's a law enforcement officer in Palm Springs. Now, I don't care if you like the pres- the former president or not. That's that's a pretty cool brag. I mean, right? Don't you think? Uh a few months ago, I, I got to attend a preaching workshop that was led by Vody Bacham and T- Tom Buck and Josh Bice. Justin Peters was there as a student, just like me. Now, you may not know if you're a theology nerd, nerd like me, you might know some of these people. Uh, they're super well known and respected in this, I guess, small group of <laughs> theological nerds. I don't know, but I'm just sitting there like, I don't belong here. <laughs> I'm like, right? That's that's me with Vody but Not to brag or anything, but you know, uh, if you've ever heard Vody's deep chocolate Barry White voice, you can imagine me looking up and talking to him like a four-year-old, right? Like, um, meet you, nice it is. You know, like I like read book you wrote, right? Like, right. And listen, he's a he's a sinner saved by grace like the rest of us. But but when you admire the accomplishments of somebody. Sometimes it feels intimidating to be around them. Would you, would you agree with that sometimes? Yeah. Right? I had a few professors that are pretty prominent in the academic world. Once you get to know them, you see they're, they're just human like the rest of us. Really cool people. But one of them is a Patriots fan, so that brings them way down on the respectability scale. Um, football season's coming up. You're going to have to brace yourselves. So... Uh, when you don't know them, though, they tend to seem larger than life, don't they? I tend to quote this guy pretty often. I love this, this man so much. Uh, this was at a conference outside of Philadelphia a few years ago. That was a huge encounter for me because Kent Hughes has had a tremendous influence on my life and ministry through his, his books and commentaries. And if you look at him, this guy, he's like pushing 80 and is as handsome as anybody. And I look like an Oompa Loompa. Like, I don't know. Maybe one day when I'm healed, when I get my new body, right? We tend to take encounters with Jesus for granted when the only thing that gives anyone else that we meet any value at all is the price that he paid for them. Apart from Jesus, Frank Blake or Anthony Kiedis or Barack Obama or Voddie or, or Kent Hughes or anybody, they have no real value apart from him. They're no better than any of us. And if we have Jesus dwelling with us, and they haven't placed their faith in him, we have something that they don't, but they desperately need. Right. This morning we're going to encounter a very powerful and well-respected man who understood authority. And because he understood authority, he understood his own unworthiness to be in the presence of Jesus. Verse 1, Luke seven one. Keep your finger on Luke 7 all morning. Even after you leave, keep it there. No. Uh, After he had finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, if you recall, over the last several weeks, we've been examining a sermon that Jesus preached. He largely dealt with self-examination, with looking introspectively at our own hearts before we go around judging and condemning others. He, He went so far as to imply that Many of the people who called themselves his disciples were actually counterfeits and challenged them to examine themselves and to build their life on a foundation of obedience that is firmly anchored to Christ's authority. Let's read that from last week. Luke 6, 46 to 49. You should be pretty much there. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great." Now, many of us have probably been the ones looking around. Yeah, say that to this guy or say that to that person over there, right? And we think we have it nailed and those hard statements are meant for the other people. But, but the Apostle Paul addressed that kind of thinking when he said this in First Corinthians 10. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall." Any of the Jews felt like they're okay because of their heritage. They were God's chosen nation. And if you remember Luke's writing to a Gentile audience, what, what's interesting is that this is the first real interaction that he has with a Gentile in the Gospel of Luke here, at least that we notice. One of the questions that we might ask when we read any text is, what does this reveal about Jesus? So be thinking about who Jesus is as we cover this passage. Who is Jesus? What does this reveal about Jesus? Now, verse 1 gives us the context. Jesus finishes up this sermon, and he goes back to Capernaum. And you remember, that's where Simon Peter's from, and where Jesus had lived at least for some time. We don't really have much information about his life uh, after he was born. We have his birth, and then we have a big gap until his three-year public ministry that ended in his death in his early 30s. Except that part where Mary and Joseph lost him in Jerusalem when he was 12. That was, can you imagine? Oh no, we lost baby Jesus. What are we going to do? Right? Now, but now we encounter a Roman centurion who would have a, a, a charge of around 100 troops, and whose scope of authority would be substantial in carrying out his duties. In fact, some people have noted that this seems to be a foreshadowing of the conversion of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. I'll just read that to you here, Acts 10, 1 to 2. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God." Now we want to be careful not to assume anything into the scripture that isn't there, particularly since Luke here is the author of both Luke and Acts. Uh, so, but some still have wondered if the centurion in Luke is Cornelius and Acts. Now the similarities are pretty striking. However, if Cornelius is the centurion that we're reading out today, either Luke didn't want us to know that, didn't care if we knew that, or he didn't know it himself. Remember, he, was, he wasn't an eyewitness of these things. He was, uh, Luke, Luke actually, this gospel is the one where he actually went around and interviewed all the eyewitnesses and compiled it all together so that we would have an orderly account that we might have certainty, as we read in chapter one, right? So, verse 2, Luke 7, 2, it says, Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Now this verse tells us something about the servant. But as we move on, I think it says something even more about the centurion. Henry Ford uh, was a great leader. He's, he's, a, he's attributed with the statement, I'm not the smartest, but I surround myself with competent people. Oh, that's great wisdom. Now, clearly, especially for somebody like me, right? Clearly, the servant had no value to, or, or had value, rather, much value to the centurion. But we would have to speculate to come up with a reason why. I mean, was he a servant of great integrity? I imagine so you remember the story of joseph we might question his behavior as a young man when he told his brothers that he had this dream that he would rule over them like you know we know that this the dreams were true they were from god but the way he did it it sounds like something any petulant youngest child would do right like you anybody have a have a younger brother or sister you know you know how they right you know how they are but we don't really know the tone. We can't make the assumption. But he was young. He, you know, and, and one way or the other, we all grow, right? Um, but all that said, as, as a servant of Potiphar, he was, he was a young man of incredible integrity. Uh, we might assume that God did some work in him after he was sold into slavery by his brothers. But Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to rape her after he had refused her advances. So Potiphar had him thrown into prison. The first question is: Did any of us, for a minute, believe that Potiphar believed his wife? I no. I no. I mean, I guess maybe he did, but that doesn't tell us. But, but like seriously, Potiphar knew his wife. He clearly knew Joseph. He had put put everything in his household under Joseph's care. Never looked into anything that Joseph was doing because Joseph had earned that level of trust. So I think Potiphar was probably demonstrating his faithfulness to his wife by taking her at her word, even though my best guess is that Joseph knew better, that he he knew Joseph better than that. Nevertheless, Joseph finds himself in prison, and uh, when he's in prison, he impresses the guards so much with his exemplary character that they functionally put him in charge of the entire prison, put him in charge of everything, and didn't even bother watching him very closely. And he was faithful. And then Pharaoh heard that he can interpret dreams. And after hearing his wisdom and seeing his integrity at work, made him second in charge of all of Egypt. That's pretty impressive. Like, that's a brag, right? Egypt was the world power at the time, right? We can imagine that the centurion's servant was that kind of guy, right? Trustworthy. We, we can't know how he became a servant. But what character qualities would make a good servant? Trustworthiness, faithfulness, loyalty, strong work ethic, useful skills, a positive attitude, humility, right? They're all character traits we ought to aspire to, especially because we're all called to be servants, right? Look at what we see Jesus saying in Mark's gospel, Mark 10. Verse 43 to 45. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. And keep in mind that we can only assume this great character and the servant. All we really know is that the centurion treasured him. Or her. We don't even know the gender, really. That said, we can assume the, the centurion's character played a role in his concern for the servant. Dwight Eisenhower said this. He said, the supreme quality of leadership is unquestionable integrity. Without it, no real success is possible. No matter whether it is on a section gang, a football field, in an army, or in an office. The centurion was a man of great insight and character. And as a result of that, he was a man who was concerned with those he led. Verse three, Luke 7, 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to or he sent to him, rather, elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. This is great leadership. I've heard studies that found the top companies in the world have one common thing, one, one thing in common, one thing they all have, and that is that their employees feel valued and cared for. It makes sense, because if you have a connection to your company in which you feel like a family, a vital part of a, a fellowship, or, or that you're important, you're going to care about making that company successful, right? Right? it's kinda of like the old tradesman's adage if you take care of your tools your tools will take care of you and that's doubly true when it comes to people i remember when i was in college i was young and immature and i worked for brian gallagher at french valley airport worked in the hangar uh... doing aircraft mechanic things i was an apprentice and i pumped gas and trade for flight time and all that good stuff And uh, I, I, I knew that Brian loved me. He cared deeply for me. He took care of me. He, he counseled and mentored me. I learned more about strong work ethic and caring for people from Brian than almost anyone else in my adult life. I, I would get sick every now and then. I didn't get sick very often back then. But when I'd get sick, he would just he would take care of me right there. He'd say, okay, sit down. Take some vitamin C. Rest for a minute. You'll feel better. And he would like nurse me to health so that I could keep working. Um, right? He sent me to his own doctor to get a prescription so that I could keep working. But it wasn't just about my work. Um, it, it was that he, he cared. He wanted me there. He valued me. He told me one time that he had read a study that companies who provide coffee for their employees, uh, like free coffee for their employees, had notably more productive employees. Right? That's pretty smart. So he constantly had, he never stopped having a, cup, a, a pot of coffee brewing for everybody. It was constantly like force-feeding people coffee, right? Um, but there, there was no question that he wanted me around. He, he didn't just treat me like a valued worker. He treated me like a son. And and as a result of that my attitude when I came to work every day was that I wanted Brian to be hugely successful. I wanted all of his customers to see how awesome he was. I wanted to attract people to his business. A centurion at that at the in the time of Christ held a very high status in society. But a servant would have no social standing. And that's where we begin to see the centurions unusual humility. Great leaders are humble. They look highly upon others. Uh, and that usually results in others feeling and speaking highly of the leader. This centurion had the right heart for leadership. And when his servant was in need, he went out of his way to intercede on behalf of the servant. He was looking out. He's a VIP interceding on behalf of somebody who was socially worthless. Now he sends some of the Jewish elders to bring Jesus, or to, yeah, to bring Jesus. And, and, and it gets real fascinating here. This is super fascinating because the centurion had only heard of Jesus, and this is how he's exercising his faith. But also because he may be employing some of the people here who had serious criticisms of Jesus, or, or might in, in the future have serious criticisms of Jesus, these Jewish leaders. And so whatever their attitude might be, they clearly held this centurion in very high regard. Verse 4. And when he came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, this is interesting. He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one who built us our synagogue. Now this is super fascinating. What's the number one prayer of the Pharisees and the Zealots that that represented the thinking of the vast majority of Jewish people at the time? What's their number one prayer, their number one hope? They're looking for Messiah, who they believe is going to deliver them from Rome and reestablish Israel as an independent nation. That's what they're looking for. And yet, they come not knowing to the very messiah that they're looking for whose plan doesn't quite look like their plan that's why we need to be careful with with digging our heels in too much on our eschatology and who will reestablish his kingdom worldwide when he returns but whom they will eventually put on a cross and kill and they plead with him to come to the centurion because the Roman centurion, who is charged with keeping the Jewish people compliant, is worthy. Talk about irony, right? Now, but they have reason to consider the Roman official to be worthy. As he's a great leader. And because he was a great leader, he'd even earned the respect and affection of people who would have otherwise wanted them wanted him either gone or dead. But first, he had proven his concern for that which they were concerned with. The nation of Israel. It says he loves our nation. You know one of the best ways of earning trust and respect is to listen? It's hard for a lot of us, right? But when we take time to hear people, they appreciate it. People love talking about themselves and giving their opinions. And we, when we listen and we show concern for the things that they're concerned about, that means a lot to those people. So that was the first win. There's, there's no way that the centurion was going to help drive Rome out of the region of Palestine. His job was to keep Rome in Israel. But he was so good at being a leader that the Jewish elders in Capernaum called him worthy. Guys, that's impressive. That's really impressive for this guy. Second, he built a synagogue for them to worship in. Now, that's huge. We don't know if the centurion was was a convert, but he was certainly sympathetic to the Jewish faith, and he would have been highly successful. But he was sympathetic to them so much so that he put uh, put himself out there and used his success to honor the people that he had authority over that's great leadership honoring the people that you have authority over that is great leadership the centurion went above and beyond his duties there's a difference between a manager and a leader like for example if I if you ask me how I'm doing and I say that I'm managing that doesn't communicate that I'm achieving any great success at anything that I'm doing right I'm managing. It means I'm getting by. People follow a true leader because he or she has earned their loyalty. And the followers are what often give the leader the the good reputation. You can usually tell the character of a leader by observing those who follow him or her. How does Jesus respond to the elders interceding on behalf of the centurion who is interceding on behalf of the servant? How does Jesus respond? Check this out. Look, let's let's look at the heart of Jesus here in First Peter, First Peter five six or seven. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Jesus cares about the things that concern this centurion and goes to meet him. But at that point, the centurion comes to grips with the authority of Jesus and kind of changes his mind, right? Because although these leaders in Capernaum spoke highly of him and call him worthy, he realized how unworthy he was to have Jesus come to him. Let's read verses 6 through 8. Luke seven verses six through eight, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, "Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am worthy to have. I am un, I am not worthy, rather, to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me." And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. As Jesus approaches, the centurion realizes the gravity of what he had asked for and changes his mind. Why was he afraid to have Jesus come into his house? Thinking maybe he had six kids and a wife who told him not to let anyone in the house because it's a mess? Like... Please don't invite the Son of God in here. I've been homeschooling the kids all day, and the kitchen's a disaster. Just, that's not from any experience or anything. It just came to my head. No, but the real, the real reason is clearly stated. The centurion had come to grips with his own unworthiness talked about this in the beginning. Why? Why is it that when we meet a celebrity or, you know, an important CEO or the president or someone who has a very high social standing, why is it that we tend to cower sometimes? But then when it comes to personally meeting, knowing, and being in an intimate family relationship with Jesus, we tend to more or less take that for granted. How many of us get butterflies in our stomachs before we pray do we understand who we're praying to? how many of us open up God's word and we tremble at the words being spoken to us by the almighty the the God who spoke all of creation into existence with his very word is now speaking to us through his word (coughs) Do, do we get that? How many of us pull up to church on Sunday morning and feel almost crushed under the weight of what we will be doing as we come to worship and hear from God in community? This is one of the most sacred things a human can possibly participate in, what we're doing right here, right now. Our Lord. Our Lord is right here in this room, in our midst, hearing every word. God, help us. Seeing every thought. God, forgive us. And receiving every praise. Not from a distance, not from way up there, but right here with us. And yet, how many of us are still calming down from the arguments that we had with our family before we got here this morning? and we're so distracted by the thoughts of how we're going to prove our case to our spouse once and for all when we get home. Wow. I don't. I think, am I here? I think I'm okay. First it's thunder, now that. When we gather as a worshiping community, there's a a form of God's presence that we experience that doesn't exist anywhere else. All of us tend to take it for granted. I've sometimes discussed the merits of of serving communion every week in church. And the biggest objection that, that we have is that we don't want people to take it lightly and doing it every week might kind of make it feel more like a rote ritual than a sacred rite, but friends, why don't we make that argument with church attendance? I think it's because we don't understand how sacred this part is. That we gather in the presence of God and our Christian brothers and sisters I wonder if we all knew each week that we would be receiving communion, if that would help us to see how sacred this gathering is. If we were, if we would be more prone to pray before showing up, to prepare our hearts for what is going to happen here on a Sunday morning. This is sacred. I don't know the answer to all of that and, and I, we certainly don't have the infrastructure to pull it off at this point, but it's a discussion that the leaders in this church are, will just continue having, because here's the thing. We want, first and foremost, God to be honored here by each of us. And we, we want to know that when we come to God, we are standing before the authority that we are unworthy of being in the presence of. These are the heaviest decisions that our elder team, that our church leaders have to make have nothing to do with finances or hiring or anything like that. The heaviest decisions have to do with this, with our worship. And we would beg each of you to include us in your daily prayers. Because our role is to foster an atmosphere in in which God is honored by the people of IBC to the highest degree. And that's where the centurion was. He recognized something I pray that we all recognize. The centurion was right. He was absolutely unequivocally unworthy to be visited by Jesus. And, and even this after the Jewish elders insisted that he insisted that he was worthy, Jesus knew his unworthiness too. He knew that the, the centurion was unworthy. He knows we're unworthy. I think that demonstrates that the centurion had a better grasp on who Jesus is than the Jews did. Now, if you remember back in chapter 3, John the Baptist demonstrated his humility by saying that he was unworthy even to untie the sandals of Jesus. I think the most important part, or the most important virtue for Christian living is humility. Both John the Baptist and the centurion lived in a culture where humility was not seen as a virtue. In the Greco-Roman culture, humility was a liability. And yet Jesus said this in Matthew 11. Truly I say to you, this is Matthew 11, verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no, no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Look at the knowledge and understanding that this centurion's humility achieved. He understood that Jesus doesn't need to be present. He understands the power of his spoken word. God spoke the universe into existence ex nihilo, out of nothing, by his spoken word. If God spoke the universe into existence, he can certainly heal by his spoken word. In John 11, Mary confronts Jesus about the death of her brother Lazarus. It says in John eleven thirty two, 32, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, both Mary and Martha both believed that Jesus needed to be there for Lazarus to be healed. But the centurion understood the great power and authority of Jesus. Nevertheless, by the spoken word of Jesus, in the presence of Mary and Martha, Lazarus, come out! A man who had been dead for days and was already starting to stink came out of the tomb alive. Who else has that kind of authority? Like, raise your hand. Anybody here? Right? Right? The centurion understood authority because, he was, because when he said jump, everybody jumped. When he said go, his soldiers went. When he said come, people came. When he said do this to his slave, his slave did it. His spoken word cari- carried a whole lot of authority, but he understood the limitations of his authority. And when faced with Jesus, he cowered. He sank back. He had the wisdom and insight to see that his authority was nothing. David Garland said, as a commander, the centurion is used to being in charge. But grace comes when he gives up trying to be in control. Luke 7, 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowds, he followed him, saying, I tell you, not even in Israel have I seen such faith. It's interesting to see Jesus marveling at something, like he's surprised or something, right? I don't think really that this took Jesus by surprise, although in his humanity, I suppose it's possible. Because he did, he was fully human and fully God, and as a a fully human person, he experienced all human emotions, so surprise would be an emotion, I guess. So it's possible. But this is a word that can indicate that he admired something about the centurion. The centurion demonstrated to Jesus that he was a truly noble man. So Jesus responds to the centurion's humble intercession for the servant by addressing the crowd that's following him. Here we have the only words that Jesus speaks in this section. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Like the Jewish elders had recognized his character Jesus affirms this great leader's faith the healing part reads more like an afterthought the the part that 's a bigger deal to Luke as he's writing is the uh, is this rather than the, the the miraculous healing Jesus had seen faith in Israel even at this point in Luke there was a paralyzed man whose friends interceded to the point that they carried him up on a roof and disassembled the roof and, and roof and lowered him down to Jesus because he couldn't get in the house. Like he had seen faith. And yet, the faith of this Roman centurion is to be regarded as the greatest faith that he had observed to this point. How can we tell that the centurion's faith was so strong and real apart from the words of Jesus? His humility. His, un- his understanding of Christ's authority. That is the beginning of faith for all of us. To be humble and to understand the authority of the one we have surrendered to. And if we both have humility and understand Christ's authority, we will probably respond to Jesus more like the centurion did. I'm not worthy. When we come to him in prayer, I'm not worthy. And worship, I'm not worthy. When we pick up his read to, word to read, I'm not worthy. As we gather together, I'm not worthy. But the cross makes us worthy. For those of us who who have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus, his righteousness cleanses us and makes us worthy in his presence. Have you ever talked to somebody who said that they can't come into church because if they walked into church, they would catch fire? I've I've talked to, I I can't count the number of people who have said that. I'm like, well, apart from God's grace, so would I, right? Like, apart from God's grace, we're all worthy of catching fire when we walk into his presence, right? When we, think about the, uh, the, when we think about humility, uh, we need to consider the sermon that Jesus preached right before he encountered the centurion. Listen, I'm, I'm not somebody who is lower than Jesus but better than most people. That, that's, no, I'm not. I'm a worthless dung pile with no value apart from Jesus. How dare I compare my righteousness to my brother's? Romans 14, 1 through 4. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. The one believes, or one person rather believes, that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and will be upheld. For the Lord, the Lord is able to make him stand. It's only by God's grace that I can stand before the creator of the universe and not die in my shame. Last verse, verse 10 when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Just like that, they went to the house of the centurion, and the servant was well. Boom. Luke doesn't even record Jesus as having said anything. We don't hear, be healed, or rise and walk, or anything. Just Jesus affirmed the centurion's faith, and the servant was well. Listen, like the sermon, this passage deals with the heart. What is the condition of my heart? It doesn't matter if I'm standing right here or if I'm shredding on guitar over here or here on piano or I'm teaching the kids back there or or I'm doing, uh, you know, being an usher or doing security or, or or doing sound or audio visual up there, any of that. None of that matters. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting here in the congregation simply being here to worship. If my attitude isn't I don't deserve to be in fellowship with the people that I'm in fellowship with. If that's not my attitude, I don't understand the authority of Jesus. And I don't understand the depravity of my heart. You see, with the centurion, he got, he got it all right, but he missed one thing. See, he was an outstanding leader. He had great character and strong integrity. And with all that, he still understood his own unworthiness. But he had not yet realized that Jesus wasn't looking for his worthiness. He wasn't looking for the righteousness that the centurion could earn on his own. The only thing Jesus was concerned with was faith. And Jesus came to the centurion and met him where he was. Because it was never about the worthiness of the centurion. It was about the worthiness of Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard of his wondrous deeds? Have you heard of his great love? Have you heard of his awesome power? Have you heard that he is the everlasting God of creation? Have you heard of his great authority? Have you heard that you can intercede on behalf of the ones you love directly to him? Have you heard that he hears you and he's deeply concerned about the things that matter to you because you matter to him? Have you heard? Will you come before him in humility and trust him? I would be wise to ask daily do I have the faith of the centurion? Would Jesus see my faith and marvel? Let me just close by saying that good character, whether one is in leadership or not, is not something that comes easy. We almost work hard at it. It's a challenge of pursuing integrity. Integrity means doing the right thing even if we would never get caught. And the more we pursue those things, the more we will recognize who we are, which will result in humility. And when we become humble and see our unworthiness, the more incredible it is to us that our Lord would hear us and come to us see, the greatest miracle isn't the healing of the ill servant. The greatest miracle is that Jesus heard the petition of the centurion e- interceding for his servant. And Jesus responded by coming to the centurion. That's the greatest miracle. And when we pray, the greatest miracle isn't that he answers our prayers. It's that he hears them in the first place. But he does. So pray like mad. Pray with humility and pray with faith, knowing that our Lord hears our prayers. And this is the confidence, it says in John 5.14, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Amen. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that we can stand in confidence knowing that we are nothing, we are worthless, but you, you are worthy. And through the cross you have made us worthy. Lord forgive us that we so often put others on a pedestal and yet take for granted our Lord who was put up on a cross. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for mercy. We thank you that though we are unworthy, you hear us. You come to us. You care about those things that matter to us. We can pray. We can intercede for our friends. And you hear us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, every one of us needs grace. Lord, we ask for that grace. And we offer ourselves over to you to worship in all that we do. Lord, as we step out this week and into our mission field, we ask your strength that we would see our unworthiness that we would see your authority and that we would be obedient Christians. And we ask these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.